0: Good morning, everybody. I just want to, want to say how grateful I am that all of you are here. Uh, it's just awesome to see this many folks out on a Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday. And it's great to see families together. And um, I just want you to know that we, we love having families here at our church, and so if you have little kids here, keep them if you want, okay? I'm going to let you know that something's available, not because I want you to take your kids to it, so don't misunderstand, but if you are nervous about your preschool child maybe being a disruption and you would rather them be a part of our preschool kids life program, there is one going on down there, so you're welcome to take them down, but if you want to keep them in the service, it's cool with me because I'm a husband and a father of five, and I know how to tune things out. <laughs> so it's not going to be a distraction to me, trust me. Uh, and you can ask my kids and my wife, they'll affirm that. No. Uh, it's awesome that you're here. And if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open up to 1 Corinthians 15. If you uh, don't have one, that's okay, because we tend to put the passages on the screen for, for you so it should be all right that way. I'm going to start in a word of prayer. This morning I want to talk about the greatest message ever ever said, ever told, the greatest message in the world. And maybe as we're thinking about great messages, we might think of ones that come to mind, Pretty. Pretty substantial messages, pretty impactful messages. You know, if you're an American, you might think of the message from Paul Revere where he rides on his horse and he says, The British are coming, the British are coming at the beginning of the American Revolution. As a Canadian, you got to say it that way, right? As an American, it's the war for independence, you know? So my, my, my wife would call it something different than me because I'm Canadian, she's American. You might think of Churchill's message to the people, right, during World War II, where he says, you know, we're going to fight on the beaches, and we're going to fight here, and we're going to fight there. I don't memorize the speeches, so I don't know. But he said, we'll never give up. That was an important message to the people. Or you might think of Ronald Reagan president. He was giving a speech, and he says, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. That was a pretty important message, wasn't it? And some of you are going, what wall? Who's Ronald Reagan? What are you talking about? (laughs) If you're my age or older, let your kids know what that is. Those are all important messages. They're all significant in history among many, many other ones. But you know what? It's not the greatest message ever told. There's only one greatest message ever told. And we're going to talk about the greatest message ever told this morning, but we're going to talk about the linchpin to that message that without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that message falls flat on its face. And yet, because Christ rose from the grave, we have the greatest message in the whole world to tell. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank You so much for bringing us all together this morning. I want to thank You for those that are joining us online. God, it is not a coincidence that we are here together. It is not a coincidence that there are those that have joined us from afar and are watching this service online this morning. It is not a coincidence that we have an opportunity to reflect on the greatest message ever told and that the impact that that message has on anyone who hears it and responds to it. God, I pray that by Your Holy Spirit that You would speak to our hearts, that You would impact our minds, that You would change us the way that You long to change us based on Your Word, Your truth, the Scriptures. God, we want to thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that without that resurrection, we would be of all people most to be pitied. But thanks be to God that Jesus rose. In Christ's name, amen. So, 1 Corinthians 15 is where i want you guys to be this we're going to read that in just a second but as i was thinking about the resurrection of jesus i can't help but think back to a statement that jesus made before any of the events of easter weekend ever happened right on friday we came together many of us and we celebrated the crucifixion of jesus the death of jesus on the cross that led to his burial and then leads ultimately to what we're celebrating today, the resurrection of Jesus. But before those events ever happened, Jesus made some pretty bold claims. And if you think about it, when Jesus made those claims, He had yet to back up those claims. Yes, He did some miracles that did validate His message, but there were still some things that needed to happen before the claims of Jesus were fully realized. And one of the claims, one of the statements of Jesus that I got thinking about this morning that without the resurrection would have fallen flat on its face was the the, the statement that Jesus makes to Martha when he speaks with her after her brother Lazarus dies. Jesus had uh, many disciples. There's the 12, but then there were others that followed Jesus and This family of a brother and two sisters, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they were disciples of Jesus, and Jesus loved them very much. They were close friends of his. And Jesus gets word that Lazarus has died. Jesus goes, and he talks with Mary, and he talks with Martha, and as he's talking with Martha, Jesus says this to Martha. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I want you to think about that for a second. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. That if people put their faith in me, even if they die physically, they're still going to live. That's a big claim. That's a huge claim. And right off the bat, Martha, because of her solid Old Testament background, says, yes, Lord, she told him. And based on what his teachings were and what he communicated to his disciples, she says, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. But up to that point, she's saying that verbally. She's responding verbally to something that Jesus says, a big claim that Jesus says. And you know what? Jesus backs up his statement in one sense by proceeding to walk to the tomb where Lazarus is and And he says, roll the stone away. And then he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes back to life. And Lazarus walks out of that tomb. And a dead man regains his life. That's one thing, though. But it's a whole other thing for Jesus to then proceed to tell his disciples, you know what, I'm going to be crucified. And I'm going to be buried. And I'm coming back to life three days later. It's one thing for Jesus to raise somebody else from the dead, but for Jesus to raise Himself from the dead, now that's a tall order. And yet Jesus did say, as we reflected on on Friday, Jesus told His disciples, I have the the power to lay down my life, and I have the power to raise it up again. And on Easter Sunday morning, or what we would call Easter Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday, when the ladies that observed where Jesus' body was laid, laid in the tomb, when they come out at the break of dawn on Sunday morning and they go to the tomb, they find it empty because Jesus rose again. There are three things from Paul's account as he's talking to these Christians in the city of Corinth about the significance of the gospel, but really the essential aspect of the resurrection of Jesus. I want us to see three things about this, and the first thing that I want us to see is that the gospel is the most important message of all time. It is the greatest message ever told. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 8, and then we're going to jump down to 12 to 22. i ask you to follow along with me. He says this, Now, I want to make clear for you. I I want to make it clear for you, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that I preach to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you're being saved, If you hold to the message that I preach to you, unless you've believed in vain, for I passed on to you as most important, it is the most important thing that I could possibly communicate with you. He says, I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures." And then he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, as, one, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. First thing that I want us to see is that the gospel is the most important message of all time. And Paul says that right off the bat when he says, as a reminder to the Corinthians at this church, he says, hey, I want to remind you of the truth of the gospel. The most important thing that I shared with you when I was with you, I want to remind you of the truth of that. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. I want to read some other passages of Scripture that talk about the fact that this message is the most important message of all time. John three sixteen through 18 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he's not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 12 says this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Peter's saying that just after he talks about Jesus, His death, burial, and resurrection, and actually we'll read that passage in a bit. Romans 1.16, Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. It is the most important message ever told. And Paul says... I want to remind you of that. I want to remind you of the most important message that I ever told you, that's ever been told. And he says, remember this message. Remember how it worked with you guys. He says, this was the gospel that I preached to you. Paul knew that the only way that the Corinthian church was ever going to get saved is if they heard the message shared with them. See, Paul didn't just show up to Corinth and he you know, did his tent making stuff and he lived a good life and he didn't cuss and he didn't run around with with the ladies of the city and hope that by osmosis people would say, Well, there's something different about that guy. I wonder what that's all about. No, Jesus or Paul actually preached the message of Jesus Christ. He talked about the saving work of Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Paul actually says in Romans chapter 10 to the Romans the necessity of this. He says, how then can they call on Him, Jesus, they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about Him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See, Paul understood that in order to share the greatest message ever told, you got to be there and you got to actually share it. And he says, look, Corinthians, I shared this message with you. I shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with you, the truth about his death, burial, and resurrection to rescue people from sin. He said, I told you that message. I preached that message to you. And he says, and you received that message. You didn't just listen to it. You took it to heart. You received it. You accepted it. You recognized it as the truth that it is. And then he says, and by which, excuse me, on which you are taking your stand, he said, this is the bedrock of your faith. You're not just believing anything. You're believing in Jesus, the Son of God, and his work on the cross of Calvary for you and his victory over sin and death and hell because he rose three days later from the grave. And then finally, he says, it's by which you're being saved. This message, this truth of Jesus Christ is a message of salvation for you. You're no longer dead in your trespasses and sins, the offenses that you've committed against Almighty God, but you are saved from them because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ as the perfect sacrifice for sin. You're being saved because of the work of Jesus Christ, because you responded to the greatest message ever told. Paul goes on. Second thing that Paul talks about in this passage that I want us to see is that the gospel fulfills Scripture. Paul makes it abundantly clear as he reminds them of the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, he says, I want you to be reminded of the fact that this message is true, because the word of God said it was gonna happen, and it happened. I'm just gonna give you a few examples. When he's talking about the Scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures, and he's talking about the fact that the Old Testament's central message is that the Messiah was going to come, that the Messiah was going to die, that the Messiah as God the Son was going to save people from their sin by his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary and through his resurrection. And that's the central message of the entire Old Testament that these people... We're familiar with. It started in Genesis chapter three, verse fifteen, when God laid out that plan initially to Adam and Eve. After they sinned against God, after everything looked hopeless when they rebelled against God, and God says, No, I got a plan. I got a plan to save people from their sin. I got a plan of rescue. I want to let you know about it. And from Adam and Eve all the way through Old Testament history, the scriptures were fulfilled. That Jesus came and did exactly what the plan was. Fulfilled Isaiah 53, it, uh, uh, Psalm 22, Psalm 16, nine through 11, Psalm 21, one through seven, Psalm 103, Psalm 116, verse eight, Psalm 119, 25 and 50, Isaiah 66, 22, Daniel 12, one through three. Those are just a few passages in the Old Testament that were fulfilled by the work of Jesus Christ, because Jesus came and died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and He was raised three days later according to the Scriptures. Everything God said was going to happen, happened. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me even if he dies will live, He backed it up the moment He walked out of that tomb because Jesus is a resurrected Savior. Third thing that I want want us to see from this passage is that without the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel message and our faith as Christians is worthless. And I want us to see that the resurrection of Jesus was instrumental in the transformed lives of His followers follow along with me in verses 12 to 22, Paul talks about this. See, the Corinthian church had a, had a struggle with believing that people, after they died physically, were ever going to be resurrected again for eternal life. They were struggling with that. There was a teaching going around in this church that there was no resurrection of the dead. And Paul's wanting these believers to understand that if you undermine that, then that means that Jesus never rose from the dead either. And the Christian faith is absolutely useless. And he says that, he says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, which he just got done saying, this is instrumental in the gospel message. Without the resurrection of Jesus, you got nothing. He says, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? How can you go around teaching this if Jesus proved that there is? He goes on, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If that's your thinking, he said, then, you know what, Christ hasn't been raised then if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Hey, I just got got done telling you about the greatest message that you've ever heard, the one that you responded to. But you know what, if you keep on saying that there's no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus wasn't raised either. And so the faith that you have, useless. See, the resurrection of Jesus is integral to our faith. Moreover, he says, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we've testified wrongly about, the, about that God raised him from the dead. Whom he did not raise, in fact, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then even Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins." Think about that for a second. If we believe that Jesus Christ died to save us from our sins, but yet He didn't rise from the dead, then we're still dead in our trespasses and sins. We're still enemies of God. We, we still have no relationship with God Almighty. Paul says, if that's the case, this is the state that we find ourselves in. He says this, he goes on, he says, those then who have fallen asleep in Christ also have perished, and if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied for more than all people. See, Paul's trying to help these believers understand that if, if they give their lives to Christ but only for this life only, and, and, and if we follow what Jesus teaches us through the Gospels and through the New Testament. And through the Old Testament about what it looks like to live for Christ and it only lasts for this life, he says, you know what? We really should be pitied for of all people. Because God calls us to, to give up our desires and our wants and our, want, our, our, our way of, of, of living. And God says, no, I want you to live the way that I say that you should live. I want you to have the desires that I have. I want you to follow the path that I have for you. And if we're only doing that for the 70-plus years that we got, Paul says, look, that's going to be pretty miserable for us. We should probably be pitied by everybody. Why would anybody want to do that? He goes on and tells them a little bit later on this chapter that if, in fact, that was really the truth, he said, why don't you just eat and drink and be merry? Like, just live it up here because this is all you got. But he doesn't stop there. Because Paul knows that Jesus did come back to life, that Jesus was raised from the dead. And in verse 20, he says, But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. See, Paul says, you know what? But the resurrection is true. You know why? Because I've seen the resurrected Jesus. I know it's true, and I'm sharing that with you because I've seen it firsthand. See, Paul just got done saying, hey, I was one of the ones that saw Jesus come back to life I saw him bodily, I know he's resurrected, I know that the gospel is true, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and then he rose again three days later. He says, my life has been transformed by this message because it's the greatest message ever told. How do I know that? Because in Acts chapter nine we learn that when Paul, who was a zealous Jew, who hated the Christians, who hated the concept of Jesus being the Messiah, decided that he was going to help persecute the Christians. And as he went to Damascus with orders from the chief priests to persecute Christians and to imprison them because they were heretics, Jesus meets him on the road, and he sees Jesus. He has a vision of Jesus, and Jesus says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus and and Paul comes to a place where he puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it transforms his life. So much so that by the time you get to Acts chapter 13, we learn this about Paul. Paul's life was turned upside down, excuse me, chapter 12. And He wants to go and meet with the disciples. He wants to let them know, hey, look, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. My life is transformed. And the the apostles, the other disciples, are like, no, we've heard of this guy. We know him. He's a murderer. We don't trust that fella. It says, when he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. And they were afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Paul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul, or Paul, coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord, he conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews and they tried to kill him. And he still preached the gospel. Because why? Why? He trusted Christ to save him from his sin, and the Lord transformed him because he saw the resurrected Jesus. See, the reality of it is, is that the message that they were preaching was true, and people had the ability to test to see if what they said was accurate. How do we know that? Because Paul said to these Corinthians… And he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And how does he back that up? How does, he, how, do he, how does he prove that? He says, and he appeared to Cephas. He said, he appeared to Peter. And then he appeared to the twelve, which Matt read for us from the Luke account. Jesus met with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They didn't recognize him at first, and then he started teaching from the Old Testament scriptures all that they said about him. And then they finally realized when he broke that bread and he blessed it hey, wow, this is Jesus Christ. He's raised from the dead. And then they reflected back, and they said, didn't our hearts burn inside of us? Weren't we just on fire when Jesus was opening up the Scriptures and helping us understand everything that those Scriptures said about who He is and what He did? They had to run back and tell everybody else they were so excited. Jesus then meets with His other disciples and says the same thing, does the same thing, opens up the Scriptures. Hey, guys, this is what the Scriptures are teaching about me. He goes to Thomas. And he says, touch my hands and my feet, feel the the spear mark in my side. It's me. Handle me. Know that it's me. I'm not just an apparition. I'm physically resurrected. Paul goes on, he says, he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, and then he appeared to 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, he says. And then he appeared to James. This would be Jesus' half-brother, earthly brother, James, one of his brothers who were adamant that they weren't going to recognize Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah. And because of Jesus' crucifixion and his burial and his resurrection, at some point James comes to realize that Jesus is not just his brother, but Jesus is his Savior and Lord And James commits his life to Christ as Savior and Lord, and Jesus appears to him and says, Hey, James, I told you. Maybe Jesus didn't say it that way. And then to the apostles. And then Paul says, Look, he appeared to me. And what I think is probably one of the best proofs for the resurrection of Jesus is the eyewitness accounts. Because what does Paul do? He tells these believers, and he tells anybody in that day and age when he was sharing the gospel, hey, you doubt what I'm saying? Go talk to somebody who saw Jesus too. You're doubting what I'm saying? Just go to Peter. Peter will tell you the exact same thing. He saw Jesus. Go to the 500 brothers. Most of them are still alive. You want to check my story out? Check it with them. They've seen Jesus too. I'm telling the truth. The proof's in the pudding. it's not just the story that Paul told. It's the story that the apostles told. It's the gospel that the believers in Jesus spread everywhere. How do I know that? Because just some 50 days after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, Peter, standing in the temple courts, And this guy who's lame begging for money says hey man you want to throw me a few bucks and peter says look i don't have silver and gold for you but what i do have i'll give you and he heals the man and he preaches the gospel to the man and the man's faith saves him and then peter talks to those that are around and he preaches a message and this is what he says while he was holding on to peter and john this is the guy that was healed all the people utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Columnade. And Peter saw this, and he addressed the people, and he said, Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate. Though he had decided to release him, you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of light or of life, whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Same exact message that Paul preached. Hey, Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried, and He rose again three days later. You know why I know that? Because I'm an ey- eyewitness of that. I'm telling you this. By the way, the people that he was preaching to, most likely, many of them, would have been passing by Jesus while he was crucified. They wouldn't have known the story. If Jesus really wasn't raised from the dead, they would have immediately been able to say, hold on, you're a liar, I know this. Because Jesus is still in that tomb, that tomb's still locked up, that tomb's still closed. But Maybe you doubt me on that one, so I'm going to read this passage. Just in the very next chapter over, Peter and John are still preaching the gospel. They're still telling anybody and everybody about who Jesus is, and what Jesus did. And then they get arrested by the chief priests, the religious leaders. They're actually gonna be thrown in prison. This is the message that Peter preaches to the religious leaders. He says in verse 10 of chapter 4, Let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by this man, by him, excuse me, this man is standing before you healthy. Referring back to the guy that they just healed. This Jesus is the cornerstone you rejected, you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. Same message, different group of people, people who actually had a hand in trying to protect that tomb from ever being opened up, to protect Jesus' body from ever being stolen because they thought that the disciples were going to do it to try to perpetuate a lie. If anybody knew the truth, If the apostles were lying, it was these people right here. Chief priest should have said, no, no, we know for sure Jesus' body was stolen. We took every precaution against that. But you know what? Jesus rose from the dead. And Peter preached that message. Last passage I want to read before I ask us three questions just to consider this morning. It's from 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul says this for the love of Christ compels us. See, Paul knew the truth of the gospel, it had transformed his life. He had preached it to other people, it had transformed their lives. He knew that that was the greatest message ever told. And he says the love of christ compels us he said i can't help but preach the gospel to anybody and everybody since we have reached this conclusion if one died for all then all died and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised see paul says you know what when we come to faith and trust in christ We die to our old way of life. We die to our sins. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for Jesus. Whatever Jesus says goes. If this is how Jesus tells me to live my life, this is how I live my life. If God in his word says, do this, I do it. If he says, don't do this, I don't do it. Why? Because I love Jesus and I want to be just like Jesus. And Paul says, you know what? I I don't live the way that I was living before. Why? Because I've come to know Christ as Savior. And so now I want everybody to hear about Christ and to give their lives for Christ, and to be transformed by the work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, because the gospel is the greatest message ever told. You may be here this morning, and you've not given your life to Christ. You've heard this message either this morning, or maybe you've heard it before, or maybe you've heard it at other Easter services. Let me implore you this morning to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Why? Because He died on the cross to save you from your sins. But He didn't stay dead. He walked out of the tomb to prove to you that He has victory over sin and death and hell. And that He can transform your life. I want to ask these questions to get us thinking. They're really for us as followers of Jesus. First question is this, do we really believe that the gospel is life-giving, life-transforming? Do we really believe it's the greatest message of all? Don't answer this question yet. I got two more questions for you. We may want to instantly say, oh yeah, absolutely, I believe that. Question number two, do we really believe that it's a message worth dying for? See, Paul was willing to die to share this message. The apostles, the early church, were willing to die for this message. There are believers around the world today who are willing to die to get this message out to people. Do we really believe that this is a message worth dying for? Would we, we, would be, we be willing to do that? I know it's hard for us to, to fathom that because we live in a country where we're not putting our lives on the line to share this message, but maybe for us it's, are we willing to suffer a little bit of ridicule to get this message to somebody who may mock us for it, who may cut off their friendship from us for it. Paul actually in 1 Corinthians 16 said, look, I'm going to stick around in Ephesus for a while. He said, because the door of ministry is open to me even though people are opposing me. He was willing to stay in the city of Ephesus and to continue to preach the gospel, even though he knew he was going to get opposition. Do we really believe that this is a message worth dying for, worth suffering ridicule for? Last question, if we say yes to these questions, and as Christians we kind of want to instinctively say yes, then this is the last question for us as followers of Jesus. Why are we so reluctant to follow Christ's command to proclaim it then? See, the very last command that Jesus gave to His disciples before He ascended into heaven is this, go therefore and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a great commission. You're supposed to go out and proclaim the gospel. That's what your mission is, church. Are we doing it? Do we really believe that Jesus is, died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again three days later, do we really think that this message is the greatest message of all time? If we really did, we'd share it with anybody and everybody.